bum bum bottom 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 bum
I feel like he and Common would have a lot to talk about. And, and he's a big time philosophical dude. You know, anytime you would ask him a question, he would take that question and turn it into uh, a tangent on whatever he himself is percolating on, right? Right. Uh, and and it made it very hard to do those Q&As at the Admiral Winchester. But at the same time, the result of those Q&As were fascinating. And I'm so glad that we recorded them. And you can head on over to the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast. Check out the ItMod Chatcast channel. We had a really great chat with Matthew Bodine. We did. And I had a personal triumph. I was super brave. And I did my first Q&A all by myself. That's I did right. the Q&A for Cutthroat Island. I um, I was super nervous. But um, I think I... You killed it. I got in touch with my inner Brene Brown. And I asked Matthew Modine some pretty vulnerable questions. And because he went off into tangents. He did. And it was beautiful. <laughs> and we followed him there. It was awesome. And you also hosted several Q&As. Yeah, but you're like an expert. I did the Q&As for Married to the Mob, um, Pacific Heights, uh, Memphis Belle. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, uh, I loved watching all of those films on the big screen. You know, you doing Cutthroat Island, that is a film that got trashed when it was released back in the 90s. But in retrospect, it's just as good as any of those Pirates of the Caribbean pirate movies. I think that movie is a total blast and deserves revisitation. And Gina Davis, as the lead, is a total badass. And Matthew De Modine is perfect as her damsel. Yeah, Matthew talked about how... Cutthroat Island was before its time. Maybe the world wasn't ready for a badass female... Fronted pirate movie. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, th I think that, that um, there was a lot of narrative created around that movie even before it came out. Right. So I think... E like, I know for a fact that Gina Davis and her husband at the time... Uh, Rennie Harlan, who was the director, they had a lot of doubts going into this film. Yeah, so. you know, it's one of those things where today it's way worse talking about narratives being built before the films even come out. Like if we want to bring it back to comic books and Todd Phillips's Joker, like the the that film had its label months before the public could even see it. Right. And it was difficult to just enter into that movie fresh. And you really had to work at watching that with an open mind. Uh, I, honestly, I think I came away from the Joker movie really positive. I totally understand why some people might not like it or might not have enjoyed their time with it. But I, I, I just feel like those narratives are dangerous. Those pre-release narratives. I just and it think ruined Cutthroat Island. It ruined Cutthroat Island. And it made Island. Joker very difficult to and talk about. And all it too. does is impose on other people's joy. Yeah, and why yeah, would you yeah, want to do that? Yeah. But, so, but we tangent. Yeah, we tangent. We tangent. Let's get to Saga of the Swamp Thing. Uh, man, like I said, you know, this run, I'm super excited to get to it. I'm excited to talk about Alan Moore finally. Is it my favorite version of Swamp Thing? Well, we'll have to answer that at the end of this series on Alec and Abby, uh, but it's certainly the most famous and celebrated run on Swamp Thing, right? Right. Uh, why is that? Well, as you may remember from our last episode, Swamp Thing was created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. It began as one story in House of Secrets number 92, and then it morphed into a different story in Swamp Thing number one, which published in November of 1972. 
Wine and Wrightson worked together for 10 issues, and then Wrightson left, and Wine kept on going until issue number 13. Uh, the first era of Swamp Thing lasted until issue number 24 and saw writers like David Michelinie, Jerry Conway, and David Anthony Kent take on the scripting duties. I've never read a single issue from this time period. I guess I'm curious, but not too curious. Uh, Swamp Thing was a dead series after that until 1982. Lisa, yes. what happened in 1982? Well, I, I, I can't remember because I wasn't born yet. You weren't born yet. I was. And I can tell you, Lisa, that baby Brad <laughs> remembers the release of Wes Craven's Swamp Thing movie. Do you really? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, Time-wise, that doesn't I was work. way into Star Wars. I wasn't watching no Swamp Thing. Uh, I, I did eventually see Swamp Thing when I was a kid, uh, and I loved it. Now, we recently rewatched Swamp Thing, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, and this was your first time watching the film. How did you feel about it? It was okay. It's okay. You're being generous. I love Wes Craven. He's one of my favorite horror directors. He's one of my favorite directors, period. A Nightmare on Elm Street, People Under the Stairs, Scream. These are great, great movies. Swamp Thing is without a doubt his worst film. Easily. Yeah, it, it's... I don't even know what to say about it. It's It's super cartoony. Um, Low budget, cheap looking, poorly put together, poorly edited. You know, um, what's his name? Dick Durock as Swamp Thing has a great voice and a great presence, but his suit does not play well cinematically, especially knowing the character that we do from Saga of the Swamp Thing and the Rights and Wine run, right? I do like Ray Wise as Alec Holland. Me too. Like the first Though, 20 minutes, I, pretty I, good. I, I like the interpretation of Alec Holland as like this major ladies man. He's like immediately <laughs> yes. hitting on Adrian Barbeau. Yes, who's not Abigail Arcane, but um, Abigail Cable. No, no, she's Alice Cable. That That's right. That's right. Yeah, I yeah. cannot separate her from the horrible wife in Tales from the Crypt. No, no, Creepshow. Creepshow, that's right. Yeah, which we talked about when we uh, went up to Stephen King country. We, we did. had a whole bonus episode we did. on that. <laughs> um, all right, so Swamp Thing movie, not a great movie, maybe a terrible movie, maybe it's straight trash, uh, but it is an incredibly important movie because when the film came out, DC Comics editorial could not bear the thought of a Swamp Thing movie being out in theaters when there was no Swamp Thing comic book out on the stands. That seems fair. Yeah. So volume two of Swamp Thing launched in May of 1982, just two months after the film's premiere, and it was rebranded the Saga of the Swamp Thing. Martin Pascoe wrote the majority of those first 18 issues, with Dan Mishkin taking over for a short Phantom Stranger detour plotline. And then Alan Moore came on with issue number 19 in December of 1983. The month and year of my birth. Yes, now you can remember these comics, Lisa. When you were a newborn, I'm sure your parents brought issues of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing to your crib. No, 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 unless they were printed on the inside of the Bible. That's, I don't think so. <laughs> that's right, pretty Catholic family. Uh, no Swamp Thing in that household. Uh, what's cool about Alan Moore's run is it begins with Swamp Thing being riddled with bullets. Uh, and he dies at the end of issue 19. And from that point forward, 
Alan Moore makes the character his own. This Swamp Thing is nothing like the Swamp Thing that came before. He's not even Alec Holland, as we were talking about, but a plant born from the bio-restorative formula who just thought he was a man. Minds were blown, and yeah, the character would never be the same. Of course, with Watchmen back on everyone's minds with the HBO series, Alan Moore is also in the pop culture consciousness right now. The conversation on Twitter right now is all about Alan Moore and his contempt for corporate comics and what companies like DC and Warner Brothers have done to his characters. I don't have the time or the energy to talk about that here, but I agree with the dude. If you want to have absolute control on your characters, you gotta publish your own comics. If you want to write about Spider-Man or Swamp Thing, just know that they will never belong to you and your stories could be perverted into any number of ways. Work for hire, it's a complicated beast, but it can also be the best, says a guy who loves Captain America above all other things. Yes. But in 1983, Alan Moore was not Alan Moore. He was just a kooky British guy who made some weirdo, really rad comics over in England. The British invasion on the American comic book scene began with cats like Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, and Peter Milligan. We're going to get into that in a second. But what's certainly clear when I started reading these Swamp Thing comics is that it is a very different experience from what had come before. This is not Wine and Wrightson's take on the concept. And I love what Alan Moore did with this book. And I'm so excited to talk about it with Lisa We've only briefly exchanged some conversation around these comics. I don't quite know where she falls on these stories, and I'm excited to dig into it. No spoilers, Lisa. Okay. Don't even look at me. Now, I've rambled on enough. It's time to talk romance. Alec and Abby, things finally get hot and heavy between the two in Alan Moore's iteration, but they're going to need a little help. And this month, we're seeking the assistance of Common and his memoir, Let Love Have the Last Word. Lisa, how are we using Common's advice this week? Last week, we talked about the commonalities between Common and the Swamp Thing. They both have a distinct moment in their life where they were irreversibly changed. Rashid to Common, Alec Holland to Swamp Thing. They are both attempting to find and define their humanity, and they are both using the narrative of their past to define their present. Mm. And they are both seeking to find what Common refers to as an authentic life. Things get more complicated in this volume. I know. Some <laughs> of the things that I found true for Swamp Thing in the first volume have changed dramatically. Yeah. And in this episode, I feel like Swamp Thing has more advice for Common than Common has Ooh. for Swamp Thing. All right. In part one of Let Love Have the Last Word, Common talked about a particular recalibration moment when his daughter Amoye confessed to him that she felt not loved enough by him because he was always putting his career first. In part two, he is still turning this over in his mind, how he could love his daughter better and perhaps one day a partner. Sometimes leading a life guided by love and to live an authentic life requires what Common calls a personal transformation. For Common, the first step of a personal transformation is the shedding of doubt by turning your doubts over to God. 
Doubt is a halting force, a reservation that puts the brakes on creativity and personal progress. In Alan Moore's saga of the Swamp Thing, we encounter many evil and demonic beings, including the resurrected arcane, yeah. who rely on the tactic of sowing doubt. Yes. And Swamp Thing has a major doubt dispelling moment that turns his interaction mm. with arcane. The path of doubt is finding God's love, according to Common. Here's a quote. Love is the way, the conduit from the spiritual to the physical, from soul, mind, and body. To speak of love is to speak on a spiritual plane. So when we act through love, we are making manifest truth and rightness in our lives. Sure, sure, sure. Common repeatedly asserts that self-love precedes accepting God's love. He alludes to attachment theory, whether he's aware of it or not, when he says that we learn love first from our parents, but then we have to give ourselves self-love to keep us open to the love of others and the love of God. I have a personal quarrel with this because while I agree that hating yourself is a distraction from accepting the good things in your life, Amoye wasn't complaining about her father not loving himself enough. Right, right. So true. to me, I feel like through your love, Brad, I see you love me and uh -huh. that and that reminds me to love me. Uh -huh. So I think that there is this idea of refilling the well with the love of others. And that for me, that is a motivation to love oh, myself. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll have to come back to that. We'll have to talk to Common one day. Mm-hmm. Common is inspired and takes cues from artists that are moved by love, especially those who have experienced and express a personal transformation, particularly the American jazz saxophonist John Coltrane and his album A Love Supreme. This album was recorded by Coltrane following a dramatic religious reawakening, which he describes in the liner notes. So this is a quote from John Coltrane. Okay. I entered into a phase which was contrary to the pledge and away from the esteemed path. But thankfully, now and again, through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly reinformed of his omnipotence and of our need for dependence on him. Hmm. For Common, the titles of the tracks of his album reveal the steps of cycling through and overcoming doubt. So the first four tracks are these. Acknowledgement, Resolution, Pursuance, and Psalm. Mm, cool. Psalm as in P-S-A-L-M. Yeah. So acknowledgement is the acknowledgement of the problem. So for Common, that's the acknowledgement that his daughter, Amoye, does not feel loved enough by him. Resolution is the resolution to solve the problem. Common wants to make their relationship better. Pursuance is the pursuance of a solution. He is going to let love guide him so he can pursue an answer, so he can love his daughter better. I like this. And Psalm, yes. And this, like, I can find all of these steps in Swamp Thing. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited, I'm excited too. So the last one is Psalm. And a psalm in the Bible, the book of Psalms, is a book of praise, songs of praise and worship. So once the problem is resolved, Common is going to be closer to the light of God and better able to sing those psalms. Sure. Hmm. In part two, 
Common is largely in the acknowledgement phase in the conflict with his daughter, and he parallels these problems with his seeming inability to sustain a romantic relationship. He acknowledges that his limitations come down to two issues. One, he does not like to be vulnerable, and two, he doesn't want to have to compromise his personal goals. Mm. But we see how Swamp Thing's journey to self-acceptance opens him up to being Mm. in love Mm. and loved Mm. by Mm. Abby, Mm. and it also allows him access to the green, Mm. which Mm. is Mm. essentially Swamp Thing's god. Yes. Mm. In his meditations on vulnerability, Common comes to the following conclusions. One, love comes back to vulnerability, and vulnerability is saying what's necessary as long as it's the truth. Two, love requires full honesty. I'm going to read directly from the book. Love dims in the shade of dishonesty, which eclipses what should be everlasting and inexhaustible light, as from an immortal source, a godlike force that binds together everything in his world in this life, despite how we might feel it and in spite of what we believe. Mm, Cool. So truth is something that's separate even from our own beliefs or our own perceptions. The seed of dishonesty is bad faith. So if you find, like the more you are dishonest, the more clouded your connection between you and the other person. Common acknowledges that love is reciprocal. It is an exchange of our vulnerabilities and higher selves in the name of transformation. Through that acknowledgement, he has resolved to solve that problem. How can he be more vulnerable with his daughter or with someone he wants to create a romantic partnership with? His second issue, as I said before, is compromise. Common feels clear in his objectives with his career, but feels less certain with his goals concerning his daughter. Like sure. he can't he can't put his finger on exactly what he'll get out of it. <laughs> he seems to have a hard time reconciling the idea of being in a love relationship with the truth that a love relationship, whether it's a paternal relationship or a romantic relationship, will require his time and attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is a quote. Mm-hmm. They require vulnerability and intimacy, two areas that are problematic for me personally mm-hmm. because I don't want to give anything up. Mm-hmm. Those are his words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want mm-hmm. to give anything up. It's hard. It's hard to be that way. <laughs> and being in love means the willingness to, to give, give it up. E- everything yep. up. Everything up. Mm-hmm. So I think that Common could take some cues from Swamp Thing and Abby in Alan Moore's saga of he, the Swamp Thing. He's got to give them the tuber. Yes, because we witness a moment of profound vulnerability between Swamp Thing and Abby with that exchange of the tuber. And it opens them up to the most sublime and transformative moment in the comic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Common, get on Saga of the Swamp Thing. I think it's not fair because we read a full volume of Saga (laughs) of the Swamp Thing and we're only on part two Two. of his book. Sure, 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 sure. He's working it all out. Exactly. Hopefully in part three, he'll... He'll come to some realization, a plan of action, mm, mm, because he seems to know what he has to do, and the main thing is like he doesn't wanna. Well, his style of memoir is to work it out in the process of the writing, which I totally understand and respect. But it is like it is a tangle and a tough read. 
Like, to digest everything he's going through and put it into bullet points is is really challenging for me. And I hope that I bring some clarity to what he's trying to say. I feel like you are. I'm finding this fascinating. I'm so glad that we picked this book to pair with Swamp Thing and Abby. I skipped a ton of stuff in part two. He talks a lot about his relationship with his father. Uh His father, his parents separated and his father ended up being less present in his life, which parallels his relationship with his daughter. But he is processing a lot. And and, um, hopefully in part three, which we'll cover next week or next episode, He'll start come he'll start applying what he's learned to his relationship with Amoye and they can start have they can find some healing. All right, well I look forward to fi- finding that out. Yes. <laughs> Shall we get into the comic books? I am dying to. All right. So this week we're covering Saga of the Swamp Thing Volume 2 Trade Paperback, the specific issues being numbers 28 through 34 plus Swamp Thing Annual number 2 all written by Alan Moore, with artwork provided by Stephen Bissett, John Totalben, Sean McManus, Rick Veach, Alfredo Alcala, Ron Randall, and yes, Bernie Wrightson. The reason we're jumping into Volume 2 is because this is the section where Swampy and Abby finally get together. Now, what happened before this? Oof, real quick. The Sunderland Corporation hunted Swamp Thing down and riddled him with bullets. He died and was taken back to his lab where the crazed Dr. Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. the Floronic Man, performed an autopsy on Swampy and discovered that he's not a man but a plant who dreamed he was a man. The Floronic Man and Swamp Thing battle each other for the fate of the Earth and the gross humans who populate it. What's Volume 2 about? Okay, basic plot synopsis. I just can't. It's too much. Um, Anton Arcane comes back, possessing the body of Abby's husband, Matt Cable. Oh yeah, Abby married Matt Cable, the drab G-man from Wine and Wrightson's run. Swamp Thing defeats Anton, sending him to hell and Matt into a coma. Abby dies and Swamp Thing enters the green to retrieve Abby from the afterlife. Swamp Thing also encounters some cutesy aliens and Abby and Alec finally bone. So to speak. They bone, so to speak. Yes, so to speak. So to speak. And we're going to get into that. Of course, I want to start with the very first issue. That's how you like to do it. The burial. Yeah. So in this particular issue, Swamp Thing is in this major existential crisis. He knows logically that he is separate from Alec, but they are still so entwined. Well, he still has the consciousness of Alec. And right? I, and he the always memories. and he always will. And he always will, right. Uh, so how does he go about separating himself? Is he needs to find the bones of Alec Holland in the swamp where he originated? Yes. And this sequence, uh, drawn by Sean McManus, I adore. While McManus might not be my quintessential Swamp Thing artist, I prefer what uh, Total Ben and Bissett do, that this panel where he goes to the swamp and his he sees his past Swamp Thing self rise up out of the muck and greet him, and they stand face to face, like that is just a tremendously powerful image. And McManus does a good job of depicting what the Wrightson Swamp Thing looked like versus what the Bissett Swamp Thing looks like. And the issue starts with talking about how 
Swamp Thing is noticeably maturing in his new body. He's now in touch with the seasons. It is springtime and he's starting to blossom. And when you see him next to his younger self and his his body is so smooth, he's not... It's just a muscle body, right? It's Dick Durock from the Swamp Thing movie. He's... He's no longer Alec, and he's still, and he's no longer the swamp thing that first came out of the swamp. Right, for sure. And this is where things get a little trippy because he sees the ghost of Alec Holland. And at first, I'm trying to figure out, hold on, what's happening in the reality of this issue? We're seeing a, a past version of his swamp thing self, and we're seeing a ghost of Alec Holland. Is that ghost real? And it took me a little while to land on what is actually happening. And I believe the past Swamp Thing, the Dick Durock Swamp Thing, the Bernie Wrightson Swamp Thing, is a figment of his imagination, whereas the ghost... Alec is a ghost. Is a ghost, yeah. yeah. And so we're getting into a spiritual place with the appearance of Alec Holland's spirit. Yes. That's how spiritual places work. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, Brad. Mm-hmm. I feel like... This is a linchpin moment for the character of Swamp Thing, and I want to go through each of the phases of his catharsis. You don't want me to skip right to the ghost. That's right. Okay. So the issue starts with Abby and Swamp Thing just hanging out, being friends. Abby is complimenting Swamp Thing on how beautiful he looks in the spring. Swamp Thing is asking how things are are going with your husband, Cable. (laughs) Is that whole demon situation? Oh, yeah, it was mass hysteria. Everything's fine. I love my job at Elysium Lawns. (laughs) But then out of habit, I guess, she calls him Alec. Yeah, and he totally freaks out. And he flips out and he lashes out in a way that is uncharacteristic and shocking to her and he's shouting like don't keep calling me Alec and she tries to apologize but he storms off right and well in the process of all this too he's like digging a hole and he doesn't know why he's digging a hole he he knows that it's a grave he's feeling this compulsion to um claw through this mud but he's frustrated because he knows that there is, he feels like there's nothing left of Alec. And he says, like, how deep do you need to bury the past before it will stay dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't bury the past. You have to bring it out. You have to put it out in the open. And that's what sends him into the thick of the swamp in this, like, uh, uh, journey through his history and through Alec's history. And then we start to see the story of Alec again and Linda, and he relives Alec's death once more. This brings up the interesting question of who is a person if they're not a collection of their memories and experiences? Because everything that Swamp Thing knows, everything that he has learned, particularly the second after he he wakes up in the swamp, is based on his memories and experiences as Alec. Which is a lie. Is it a lie? Well, I mean, the, the reality is, is those memories don't actually belong to him. They belong to the organism of Alec, the, who's now wandering the afterlife. To me, I, I've been thinking about uh, the episode of Black Mirror, San Junipero. I have not watched a single episode of it's, Black Mirror. It's a beautiful episode 
about people getting their consciousnesses uploaded into a computer. Mm-hmm. And the idea is it's creating this afterlife. You take all of your memories and experiences, you put them on this computer, mm-hmm. and then if if everything that that computer mind knows is everything that the person who is deceased mm-hmm. knew, mm-hmm. is this not a continuation of that life? Well, this is a concept that happens a lot in clone stories. So yes. I'm reading this issue and I'm thinking about what's currently going on in Powers of Ten and House of X with Charles uploading the memories into new bodies of Scott Summers and Jean Grey after they have died so that they can be killed and resurrected immediately with their past consciousness, right? Right. So effectively making all mutants unkillable. Yeah. But is Scott Summers number 999 the same Scott Summers that was number one? And happens again in like Spider-Man stories, right? With the, the clone saga. Is Ben Riley Peter Parker? Is Peter Parker Ben Riley? Does it matter? To me, like my personal viewpoint of it is when you take a consciousness and you put it in another body, it's not like a, a new person as much as it is a, a bifurcation. Mm. Now there are, like if you think of a, a set of memories as a straight road, when you clone that and you create two consciousnesses from that, it's now a bifurcation. What was one is now two. Right, and even when you go back into your own life and you look back at Brad 21, Brad 21 is way different than Brad 40. So to me, like, for Swamp Thing, what is so important to him that makes him go, like, I have to be a different person than Alec? Because to me, I think that what Swamp Thing needs is a clean slate of going, I am a separate entity. Mm -hmm. Those memories are allowed to inform me, but they are not me. So now I can have a whole new life. So here's the question though. When this catharsis finally happens at the end of this issue, and he does come face to face with the spirit of Alec Holland, and Abby comes back to him and says, oh, oh, hey Alec. And she goes, oh no, I'm, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, no, it's fine. You can call me Alec. Why does he say that? Because I think that it's an idea of making peace. Like he understands why she feels like he is Alec. And I think that he, like it can't hurt him anymore because Mm -hmm. those, those emotions are resolved. And now it's more important to him that she feel comfortable then how he, he feels. yeah and also you know he does come face to face with alec holland's spirit and gets the spirit's blessing on the swamp thing right right so i guess we've also just answered our question that we had earlier in this episode what are we going to call this episode swamp thing and abby or alec and abby we should you know go by swamp things wishes and continue to call him alec yeah but i think that it's more like allowing abby to call him alec i think that if he's meeting anybody new, he'd introduce himself as Swamp Thing. Oh, well, we'll have to see if that's true going forward. I, I, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, but if we were to relate this to our own lives and back to Common, Common is obsessed with the idea of radical change, a person, like a major recalibration moment, personal transformation. 
And when these things happen, when you go through a kind of radical personal transformation, does it separate you and absolve you from your past? So we don't know a lot about like Alec in terms of any guilt that he carries or any insecurities that he has. But now that Swamp Thing exists and Swamp Thing is a different person, is he no longer responsible for any of Alex's ills? And relating this to mm. myself, I go like, I'm not the same person I was when mm -hmm. I was seven years old. But I have a very specific memory that I still carry a lot of guilt about. And you've brought this memory up on this podcast in the past. I don't know what memory you're talking about. Oh. But I'm Ooh. thinking of something that I have literally never spoken of to another person. I thought you were going to talk about the rake. Oh, yeah. I did hit somebody in the head with a rake. <laughs> but I'm not talking about that. I was a little older, actually, when I hit somebody in, in the well, head what, with a rake. What's the memory that you're talking about now? Okay, so I was on the playground, and um, we were playing at Fox Mill Elementary School, and we were playing kickball. And this involves two girls in my class. One is named Teresa Hart, and she is a cool kid, a little mean, you know, you the kind of kid where you want to be her a little bit and you want to be on her good side a little bit, but she'll also kind of lash out. And a girl named Alicia, and Alicia had special needs, I think, I'm not sure. She had a speech impediment. She was definitely slower than a lot of kids in our class. And so we're playing kickball. And um, I'm starting to get self-conscious because I'm not like the best at sports and, and that kind of thing. And um, Teresa is getting a little bit annoyed with me because I'm not, I guess, holding up my side of the responsibility while we're playing kickball. And um, she starts uh, what I feel like is micromanaging me and um, uh bossing me around in a way where it's like she's not teasing me but she's she's talking to me like I don't understand what's going on and I yell back at Teresa Hart like I'm not Alicia Oof. I still Lisa. feel guilt about that <laughs> and you're seven though I well yeah and like so when I think about that particular and, and later just to put a button in that story uh Teresa Hart goes like she apologizes to me for going like, I understand that you're not Alicia, uh, but her, that her apologizing and worse. acknowledging what I said made it so yeah. much worse. Yeah. And I still carry that guilt, but literally not like not one cell in my body existed, existed at the time that I was seven years old. Like you're, cell a, you're by cell, literally a human, a new human. I'm a completely different person. Yeah. yeah. And so like, Ooh, when, yeah, yeah. we're all swamp thing. Yeah. So when when is your past absolvable? When when do you get to say I'm no longer that person? I can think about that story and not feel that I mean, personal responsibility. We both believe in redemption, right? Yes. And change and growth and how life is all about the continuation of education mm -hmm. and you know, I know that I have thought and done things in my past that I would be ashamed of today, but I should not be held accountable for those things that I did when I was a child, a teenager, or a 20-something. 
um, as long as I recognize that those behaviors were were um, fallible and 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 don't represent who I want to be. Now, you know, criminal things like if I murdered somebody or whatever, <laughs> like you do have to pay the price and and show that um, you are willing to change and that you have done something wrong and that you should be held accountable for your actions. I'm not saying that, but you also have to allow for growth, redemption, all that stuff. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I was thinking about that as I read this particular issue. It's such a good issue. It's so good. And I feel like um, Swamp Thing is able to resolve this for himself in a way that is meaningful. Like, I feel like I can take cues from. Yeah. So he goes through this whole experience where he relives through his memory the experience of his creation and he remembers Linda and what it was like to love her and lose her and lose her. And then, uh, he is able to follow that memory to the place where Alex entered the swamp in flames. And that's how he gets in touch with, okay, where are the bones? And so he's able to pull the bones out of the swamp. Um, and he is able to put them in the ground and he buries them and he, oh, this is the moment. So when he pulls the bones out of the swamp, he looks at them and he says, all those dark years, mm. you must have been lonely. Mm. So he begins to empathize with, this bones. with the bones. Yeah. And I think that, that that is the freedom from your past, where you go like, if I was able to... If I am able to look at that story of me when I was seven years old and empathize with that child, go like, I know Lisa, why. that was the wrong thing to do. I understand that, but I understand that you were frustrated and I understand that there was social pressure to delineate yourself from, from uh, other children, you know, who, you know... If, like, I need to reach that place where I go, like, I understand why a child would do that. I trust that that child has learned from that lesson and that child will grow out of that. And she does. Like, yes. I, like, I, that instance was a reference point to how I wanted to treat others for the rest of my life. Right. So, yeah. 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 Here's the amazing thing about Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, right? You know, I've been reading it. Uh, I, I started at the beginning. I read all of volume one and went through volume two. I'm now halfway through the entire run, uh, and I will continue till I'm done with it. Um, but you're reading the first volume, and when you learn that Swamp Thing is not Alec Holland, but that he is a plant who once dreamed that he was Alec Holland, your mind blows, and you 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 know this it becomes something different than what the Wine and Wrightson era r represented. And then you get to an issue like this, and this is not this is not superhero comics. Mm -hmm. This is humanity comics. This is a confrontation of self, and this is what the art form can be and should strive to be. Like it's a profound comic book, and this issue is really the 
big turning point of why I love Alan Moore's run so much. I, you know, I, I dug the stuff that happens in the anatomy lesson issue with the autopsy and Jason Woodrow uh, and where that takes the characters. But this is suddenly where you're like, this is more than just, I need to punch the Floronic Man. I need to kill Anton Arcane. Now I want to look at this issue from the perspective of John Coltrane's tracks and go like, how did Swamp Thing reach personal transformation? So he, the acknowledgement of the problem was I feel I can't see myself separate from Alec. I want to start this life where I am Swamp Thing and I am no longer my past. And he resolves to find the problem when, resolves to solve the problem when Alec comes to him as a ghost and goes like, I, I need to be laid to rest, please follow me. Mm -hmm. And so the resolution is following his past he pursues the solution when he watches his entire past and, and watches Alec's body enter the swamp. And then when he reaches the solution, he is at peace. That is his stage of psalm. He is able to worship. He is able to now look. So he is now a changed person and he has that empathy for his past self. So for common... If we think about his issue with his daughter, his ultimate goal is to reach this place in a relationship where, with his daughter where he's able to look back and empathize with the father that he was and go like, you, are not the you were not the father that I am now, but I understand what took you to this place and I have faith that you'll transform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So that's issue one in this arc. Yay! <laughs> uh, now, the next batch of issues that come after this are a little bit more of a return to form. We learn that Matt Cable has been possessed not by just any demon, but by Anton Arcane. Gross! She's been, she's been boning with her uncle. That's yep. nasty. Yep, it is nasty. And Anton Arcane is truly a despicable creature. Um, now... These issues I like a whole heck of a lot less than any of the other issues in Volume 2 uh, because they are a little bit basic and because they are so obviously in place to get rid of Matt Cable because Alan Moore, before these issues, came up with the idea that he wanted to bring Abigail and the Swamp Thing together as a romantic couple. That means he's got to destroy Matt Cable. This, uh, like, this is a way scorched earth <laughs> way to end a, a, a literary relationship. Like, I have a lot of bitterness towards, uh, like, in Gilmore Girls, when they're like, okay, well, we want Rory to leave Dean yeah. so she'll get with Jess. So the character of Dean starts to turning into <laughs> to this, a monster. Yeah, this really controlling, yeah. dumb monster. Yeah. Where like the first thing that he and Rory bonded over was um, pop culture references, and then all of a sudden he's no longer getting Rory's references. It makes no sense. Now this is that to the extreme well, where like Dean's worse than than Cable because Cable at least has the excuse that he's got a a, a demon in him, but. The demon says, and even Matt Cable says, that Cable was indulging in some weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was becoming an alcoholic. And he had apparently some kind of superpower that I don't understand. 
Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure either. For a brief moment in time, he was hanging out with the Doom Patrol. Okay. And because of his experiences with the Doom Patrol, he gained an ability to alter reality itself. I don't know. Yeah, and so when a male has the opportunity to alter reality... He used it uh, just, like, for straight-up debauchery. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like, creating strippers and, and flying hot girls and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but also, you get an impression that the Antana Arcane, and you see it in the first volume of Saga of the Swamp Thing, that some entity is whispering dark thoughts into Matt Cable, and he's been doing it for a long time. And he finally takes possession when Matt is on the verge of death because of a car accident. Yes. So essentially everything that happened with Matt's body since that car accident was not Matt. Right. It was Arcane. And Arcane has been just laying in wait in Matt Cable's body for the opportunity to take revenge on Swamp Thing for that goblet situation, all of those issues back <laughs> yeah. in the wine run. Uh, he has been, that his hate of Swamp Thing has been festering since that time. So once Abigail realizes that the person that she has been sleeping living with. with and sleeping with and suffering with because he has been beating her descending into alcoholic stupors um real jerk being a bad person um so when she realizes that that was not her husband she is disgusted and horrified and eventually arcane reveals himself he pulls abby's soul out of her body throws it into hell and then kills her body yes and so when swamp thing reunites with abby she is dead and her soul is in hell. And Swamp Thing's first impulse is to cradle Abigail's dead body and run. And so he begins to run and he runs to the swamp. But when he is in the swamp, he comes to this realization of like, why am I running? So he turns to face Arcane, and Arcane ha this entire time has just been following him and, and mocking it, him, it. sowing doubt in yes. him, mm -hmm. going like, what are you going to do about it? I'm back from the dead, he all of that stuff. Me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then Swamp Thing has the realization, like, I'm not Holland anymore. I am Swamp Thing, and I am in my place of power. And so Swamp Thing tackles yeah. and is able to in, injure the disbelieving Arcane. And Arcane is like, how could this be? Like, this must be because of some kind of elemental force. And where did it come from? Because I, like, I've encountered you before. And Swamp Thing goes like, no, no Arcane, you have never encountered me before. Yeah. And I feel like this is a moment where... Swamp Thing is, is truly in touch with his authentic self. And I think that this is something that could not have happened before he had made peace with Alec by yes. burying yeah, his yeah, bones. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he tells him, like, this is not just another battle. This is our final battle, and I am done with you. That's right. You know, you mock God by coming at us, and I am going to break your back and tear you apart. 
And in injuring Arcane, Matt Cable is able to re like gain control back over his body. So Matt Cable does get kind of a redemption moment. Well, it falls into a coma. <laughs> yes. And so like, I think it's interesting that Matt is not dead, but through this experience, like Abby is more or less absolved of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. And now she's able to pursue a re- relationship uh, with Swamp Thing. Yeah. And kiss his limey lips. And so do like, as before Matt enters the coma, he uses the last of his power to heal Abby's body. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, like her soul is still in hell. So she's just kind of like, um, like a vegetable. Right. And this so is when we go into the annual issue where Swamp Thing enters the green. Not for the first time, but for the first time acknowledging it as like a realm. Yeah, well, he does it on per like he doesn't on, just drift into it like he yeah, it's does a it on purpose. Mission and in going into the green, he can then also enter the afterlife, and he encounters the Phantom Stranger, and he encounters the Spectre, and he encounters the Demon Entrigan, uh, and and with their aid, he's able to find Abby's soul in hell, and also he has another encounter with. Arcane soul in hell and a few other demons. I love the moment when he comes across Arcane's body rotting in hell. So one of the ways that he animated Matt Cable's body was to fill him with bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's so all Not Lisa favorite thing to see. It well, I mean, it's super gross. Like the <laughs> the idea of an animated body being animated it's like it's like that men in, it's like men in black let me show you <laughs> spider's man sometime from the spider verse comic oh my i can imagine it and yuck <laughs> but like so arcane is in hell and his body is entirely disfigured because all of these insects have been hatching eggs inside him yeah. so he's he's more or less just like a pile of mush and he and he sees Swamp Thing, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in hell, but I got my revenge." And how do you feel about that? Like, you know, like, yeah, you came back from for Abby's body, but like, clearly, it's been, you know, like, but she's been rotting in hell. How do you feel about that? And you know, Swamp Thing is like, oh, whatever. And Arcane goes like, just like before you go, will you tell me? How many years I've been suffering in hell? And Swamp Thing is like, well, since yesterday. (laughs) And Arcane goes like, yesterday? And then you just see, (laughs) So good. So So heartbreaking. Like, I really, even though Arcane is the epitome of evil and everything he's done is out of selfishness, I still feel, I empathize for him oh in that gosh. moment. Oh my gosh, Lisa, come on, don't. Screw that guy. Oh my goodness. Uh, um, don't worry, he'll be back. <laughs> uh, all right, so they get Abigail. He gets Abigail. He returns Abigail's soul from hell into her body, and they are able to be reunited. I love that moment where he has physically carried her out of hell, and he is fighting off all of these like serpent-like demons that are like nipping at his heels. And even Arcane gets like a bite out of him before Etrigan punts his little pathetic scum self into hell. And 
uh, Ab, uh, Swamp Thing lays Abby down on just this beautiful, like, tuft of grass, and she awakens, and she has no idea what has happened, and the first thing she does is go, like, uh, Alec, what's the matter? You're crying. And that's the end of the issue. I think that that is... Like, beautiful. such a beautiful moment. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Love the annual. Love, 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 love. And then we have the Pogue episode, or the Pog episode. The Pog episode, yeah. Okay. So this is basically Alan Moore giving a big, warm hug to one of his favorite creators, Walt Kelly, and his characters uh, from the strip Pogo. And the aliens that come to Earth in this issue, you know, the Pogs, uh, are the characters from Pogo. And Pogo, it was just like a... Um, a satire strip in which each little cartoony character represented, uh, you know, venality, greed, confrontation, selfishness, and stupidity. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, Alan Moore's just having fun with these little cutesy aliens and, and, and he's losing himself in the language of these aliens. And the language of the aliens, I find just so frustrating to read. I just don't like this I, issue. I also suffered through this issue um, as our listeners who listen regularly know, I like, I take copious notes. Yeah. Uh, th- I have like four lines of notes on this issue. Oh. I, I was not, I was yeah. not into it. And so like, what's the basic plot of this issue? These aliens come down to earth. They're looking for a woman. They find a human woman. They go, no, that's no good. And let's get out of here. Yeah. So it like literally their plot is not moved forward. Swamp Thing's plot is like, we could have just skipped this issue altogether, but we didn't. So let's do it. Let's just skip it. Let's yeah. move on. Let's go, on, go to the next issue, which is a super cool issue. Yes. Because it is Abigail Arcane having a nightmare in which she enters the realm of House of Secrets number 92. And she learns the story from the hosts of House of Secrets and House of Mystery, Cain and Abel, of the first Swamp Thing. And it's all Bernie writes in art. The dialogue and the captions are written by Len Wein. It is House of Secrets 92 that she is observing, or at least uh, an abbreviated version of it. So the idea is that she is part of a repeating story. That she is in Swamp Thing is. That's right. And every time Earth has need of the elemental force of Swamp Thing they kick off a series of events that will create Swamp Thing. Right. So first it happened, well, not first, but the last time it happened, it happened to Alex Olsen. Right, yeah. In the Victorian era, era and that's how um, House of Secrets 92 is brought into continuity. So cool. Like, but, what a gift Alan Moore has given that comic book. But the role of story is something that's being talked about all the time in Swamp Thing of are are we as people in charge of our story or uh-huh, is uh-huh. the story in charge of us? Uh-huh. And for, I think for Abby, it's a horrifying thought. We all think that we are masters of our own fate, that who we are today is a result of our choices. Right. So when but, she wakes up, she's pretty disturbed by what she's learned. She she wants to keep what she's learned. But of course, as dreams go, you pop out of bed and you go, 
I want to write this down so I remember you get distracted and the dream dissipates. And all and she's it's gone. left with is this uncomfortable feeling. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's a great issue. It's a great issue. Yeah. Uh, after the first issue in this volume, it's my second favorite. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's so great to see that art again. Actually, that's a lie. It's my third favorite because my second favorite is Rites of Spring, which is the fu- oh, next yeah. and final I issue. I love this one. Let's get to it. The issue opens up with Abby at the hospital looking at her uh, husband, Matt Cable, in his coma. And she's feeling guilty. She's crying. Uh, she She can't handle the situation she's in but she loves running to the swamp and sitting in swamp things mossy arms <laughs> and talking about her feelings and that kickstarts that whole conversation of you know like i know you're not a human but i have deep feelings for you and alec reciprocates for the first time and says i have feelings for you i feel like you're glossing over a very important point that when Abby is at the hospital and she's crying, she is processing the information that he is not expected to recover. So this is the moment where she is absolved entirely medically yeah. over any yeah. guilt of moving on. Even her her husband's doctor assures her that she will, as young and as pretty as she is, she's uh, sure to find someone else. <laughs> Love He's not that, dead. that bedside manner. <laughs> Um, but she does know in her heart of hearts she wants to be with Swamp Thing, and um, and that's who she goes. And to. the doctor has given her the golden ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the moment where she's like, "I know that this is weird, like, you know, I'm like you're this magnificent swamp creature, and I'm just a person. Like, how could you even love me?" And he has, like, literally the hottest line a monster could utter deeply, silently, and for too many years. Oof. Oof. And then they kiss, and she says that it tastes like lime, which I think is so sweet. But Abigail acknowledges that they can't have a physical relationship the way that two, quote-unquote, normal human beings copulate, right? Uh, and Swamp Thing goes, well, I've got an idea. Let he me has just... clearly been dwelling yeah, on this yeah. particular issue. It, like one second later, he grows a tuber out of his chest and says like, uh, bite into this. And uh, she's a little bit unsure, but when she does bite it, she's like, yummy. It tastes like cardamom, another flavor that I love. <laughs> and she immediately starts tripping. Yeah, she goes into the green. And she begins to realize like, she starts to see, well, she absorbs a piece of his consciousness. Yeah. So she begins to see things. The way he does. Exactly. Yeah. So she starts to see how everything is made of strands and everything that is alive is of the same stuff. And she is moved and it is beautiful. And like when people are waxing poetic, about what intercourse is, what sex is. It is this like beautiful communion of two bodies becoming one body, two people coming together fully and completely. And, and this is an added layer of not only are these two beings coming together completely, but they are joining with the earth essence itself. Right. And Stephen Bissett and John Totalbin's art 
in this sequence is unreal. Absolutely gorgeous. The reader physically has to turn the book and go from, you know, the normal paneling to the widescreen paneling, turning the book 90 degrees. And you see Abby go through the consciousness of the earth. There's a panel where she's literally straddling the, the blue marble in space. And then, you know, she goes, there is no contradiction, only the pulse, the pulse within the world, within us, within me. You turn the page and you see her, you know, interacting with underground creatures, the fish in the sea, the rock slides, uh, babies being born, human babies being born, larva being born, uh, oceans and lava. And, you know, you know, the, the she sees herself she sees swamp thing they're connected forever they're they are part of everything and everything is a part of them and they are all that exists and everything exists yeah and then she comes out of that state she leaves the green and she's standing before the swamp thing and she says like does this mean we're going out are we going steady (laughs) i love it so So good so good i love their relationship and i cannot wait to watch it so my my question to you lisa is you know last week when we were talking about them as a potential couple uh through the wine and rights in comics um you know you get to the end of that and you're like well i have no real feelings for this coupling at all Now, how do you feel investment-wise between the Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane? I think that it is absolutely beautiful. And a lot has transpired since those... Early uh, issues, yeah. Early issues. And it really came down to, if we want to go back to thinking about Common, like Common always says, well, you can't really love completely until you reach a place of self-love. Like Swamp Thing... When he was hating his form and thinking of his body as an instrument of murder and thinking of himself as a monster, there was no room in his heart to think about love or to to think about friendship even. But then as he and Abby and Matt have been communing as this like little community mm-hmm. and they respect mm-hmm. him and mm-hmm. he respects them, he finds it within himself to begin to love himself. And once he is able to see himself as a full person that is absolved of the past that was Alec Holland, he's now in this place where he is open to love. And so is Abby. Yeah. Now that his uh, her husband has been uh, defiled by her uncle and uh, is now in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, You know, we still have uh, two more weeks with Abby and Swampy, and we can bring this conversation around again. But honestly, after finishing this volume, and like I said, I'm still reading the Alan Moore stuff. I'm halfway through his entire run. Uh, Swamp Thing and Abby might be my favorite couple that we've covered so far. Oh, really? In this year of comic book couples counseling. That's awesome. I adore them together. And... uh, I like the philosophical implications that Moore is playing with in their relationship. Well, I am super excited. I have not read one page ahead because I'm afraid (laughs) if I have any other volumes in my head, it'll affect our conversation. Yeah, I know. You're really a stickler for that. (laughs) Well, it's because I don't trust myself, frankly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, But we started our conversation before getting into the comic proper 
like I said, that I think that Swamp Thing at this point of his run is more evolved than Common is in part two of his uh-huh. book, uh-huh. Let Love Have the Last Word. So, Brad, mm. like, what would you say, what advice would Swamp Thing have oh. for Common in his plight? Well, I mean, going back to the authentic self thing, right? Uh, Common is certainly interested in that aspect and wanting to find his authentic self. And we agree that Swamp Thing has done it. So as a person who has found his authentic self in confronting his past and forgiving himself, uh, I think Swamp Thing would say you really need to investigate your relationship with your daughter because what Common's talking about is he's talking about the, the love that he has for his child and how his child's questioning of his time Mm -hmm. caused a great sense of guilt within him. Swamp Thing would tell him, look, you need to to really decide what do you want in life and how important is your relationship with your daughter? How important truly is love? And you need to bring that up to the surface and have a deep conversation with it. Yeah, and it also goes back to Common's unwillingness to compromise, where you think like, Love requires compromise, and Swamp Thing has made the ultimate sacrifice for Abby, like... Um, Literally given himself to her. Well, like, um, even just for their friendship, he put into peril his very soul. Yeah, he went, he went in, into the bowels he, of hell yeah. to pull her soul out. And if that is not compromise, like... If that's not the comp- level of compromise you're willing to go to, go to, maybe you're not loving properly. And also, and, enough. Swamp Thing is able to look at his past self and let go of his past self. You know, uh, and of course, it's a little more complicated than you know normal human relationships. But I think that is something that we should all do. And you've shown on this episode that you can do, or you're working on doing that. And you have to acknowledge that, you know, little Brad is not big Brad. And you can love little Brad and you can think, ugh, I have regrets about little Brad. But regrets are important and you you need to evolve past them. But also with, like, to me, I see Common's issue as not an inability to get over his past self, but an inability to put aside his present self in order to have a personal transformation, you have to say goodbye to the person that you are. And he doesn't seem to, at this point in the book, be willing to travel less. Sure. Be willing it's complicated to... for a, a celebrity and for an artist who makes his living off of a presentation, right, of, of himself. And so he has to present, you know, an ideal version of common to his fans and his customers. And I think that that's a challenge because... There is always this idea of, well, I need more. I need more money. I need more fans. But Common, like, he loves name dropping in his book. He loves talking about how privileged his life is and how wealthy he has become. But when is it, like, when is it beyond making a living and Uh just feeding your ego? Uh 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 Now, Swamp Thing comes from a very 
nice place of privilege. He doesn't have capitalism to <laughs> control his life at all because he, he is also, the green. And he also has no personal career goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Swamp Thing, He's for all totally of the power free. that he has, he really has nothing going on. <laughs> he has no deadlines. I mean, well, <laughs> he is the protector of the green. He is the protector of the earth. But right? he does, he, that really hasn't come up yet that much. Like Not, so far he's been the... Protector of Matt Cable until Matt Cable was oh, possessed and then a protector of I mean, Abby. In volume one, which you didn't read, he did save the earth from the Floronic man. Like he's done his duty on that front. Yeah. Oh, so he he had one loose end. He tied it up. <laughs> There'll be more. There'll be more, Lisa. For me personally, what I take away from this conversation we've had about Swamp Thing, this conversation that we've had about Common and the idea of being open to personal transformation is that... I personally have to be ready to say goodbye to the person that I am at any moment. Mm. That if I'm truly open to recalibrating my life to be one um, that is responsive to love and responsive to openness, I have to be willing to go like, the person I am today is going to be history very, very mm. soon. And, and to be able to look at my past with empathy. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, it's it's more than what I said. It's more than just going, you have to look at little Brad. You also have to look at big Brad and know that big Brad is dead. And, and is, you, you know, you got to think about future Brad and, and be open to future Brad and killing present Brad. Yeah, yeah. Like mm. you make a, a wonky turn in traffic uh -huh. and you go like, well, I'm not doing that again. Uh -huh. Now... The person who has learned from that near traffic accident doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Swamp Thing. Thank you, Alan Moore. Thank you, Common. Yes, thank you, Common. Thank you, Common. Uh, let love have the last word. I'm, I'm really rooting for this guy. Me too. Can't wait for part three. Uh, on that note, we got to talk about the comics that we're going to read for the next episode. We're saying goodbye to Alan Moore. Uh, we're jumping ahead into the Vertigo years, and we're tackling Nancy A. Collins's run on Swamp Thing, which is a huge run into itself. Uh, I have never read any of this. I've read some Nancy Collins comics. I've read some Nancy Collins short stories. I've read a couple of her novels, but I've never read her Swamp Thing books. And I'm going to try to read the entire run, <laughs> but... What we're going to focus on for the next episode is her last story arc, which is Swamp Thing issues number numbers 135 through 138 and Swamp Thing annual number seven. And I promise you, I will not read one more page outside of that. I know, I know, I know. And then um, in Let Love Have the Last Word, I'm going to read part three. So I'm going to be bringing part three of Common's book to this Swamp Thing run. Awesome. So Lisa, we got to free ourselves from the green, return to our daily lives, return to our social media accounts. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And don't forget, you can email the podcast by writing cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. And Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias, at MouthDork. Um, guys, really, really, really go find our iTunes. 
give us the gift of five stars. Uh, we love seeing your reviews. Uh, we love getting messages from you. We love talking to you on Twitter. But we, we want to reach a wider audience. And to do that, we need your gift of five stars. That's right. And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast and subscribing to us on the aforementioned iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. We're going to get on Stitcher. I think we need to get on Stitcher. How do you get on Stitcher? Uh, you pay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopie doopie. Bum, bum, ba, da, bum, bum, ba, da, ba. All right. Uh, I have that all on audio. <laughs> I turned my head. It was very polite. <laughs> You're very am I, JD. Am I supposed to do that into my elbow? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a stinger. Oh, no.